The Bible reading this morning comes from Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, reading from verses 46 to 52. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 46 to 52, which can be found on page 1015 of the Church Bible. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Great stuff. Good morning again. Hey, you're going to hopefully be able to follow all the, uh, the talk through on the slides. So um, if you drift off at any point, just keep watching. Hopefully that will uh, resurrect your, uh, your eyelids. Um, but I'm going I'm to pray and then we're going to dive straight in to this, this brilliant, brilliant story in Mark's gospel. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much this morning that we can just consider what happened in this guy's life called Bartimaeus. Father, thank you that he went from a place of not seeing to seeing and went from a place of just uh, being on the roadside to being stepping onto the road and being in relationship with you. And Father, we pray this morning that you would open our eyes because we, we need to see Jesus. We need to see his goodness and his beauty and his truth this morning. So Father, please show us Jesus. Please show us what we need to see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in, in, in life uh, right now, and it's been the, the case for quite a while, we, we tend to live by something that people call the, the scarcity myth. And that is this idea that, that in life there are limited resources and you've got to try and get whatever you can. You need to go get and grab whatever you can in your life because limited uh, resources are limited. And it's a bit like life is a pie and you've got to try and grab as much of it as you can. And, and we're all at it and we're all elbowing each other out of the way to try and get the biggest slice. We're getting the rolling pin out and whacking each other around the head because we need to, to, to if we think in our lives, live by this idea that there are limited resources and we need what we can get. And, and we think if I don't achieve, if I don't reach those things, if I don't make it in life, then am I going to be seen? Or am I just going to fade into the background? Am I going to be seen? And I think what we, we find in life, and you'll probably know that experience this in your life right now, is that we feel as though we are, we are run ragged. We are exhausted with this constant desire to try and grab at those resources and try to go and, and get them. And it's not just us, it's, it's our kids who are exhausted too, because they've got to do well at their education, and, and they've got to not just do their education, they've got to have four sports they're involved in as well outside of school, and, and do ballet, and learn Spanish in an Argentinian dialect, 
And there's this, this constant kind of batching if you need to achieve, because what if they miss out? What if they don't make it? And we feel exhausted. We are, we are run ragged, and it's as though we are all living off, off cans of Red Bull. We just gotta keep running, keep grabbing, keep going, keep getting. And yet, in a world in which this, this kind of story, this myth takes place, I think what we find is that so often we find ourselves living on the sidelines. We feel as though everyone else is, is rushing past us. We're sat there on this dusty road. Everyone else is doing life. And we feel as though we are, we are left out. We are marginalized. And even those who maybe are getting those slices of the pie the best, and they, they still feel like that on the inside as well. We feel sidelined. And what's interesting about the story we've got in front of us this morning is you've got a guy, Bartimaeus, who, who was sidelined in every sense of the word, um, physically, psychologically, and spiritually. It starts, our story starts like this on page 1015. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. So here you've got Bartimaeus, um, this, this guy who is sidelined in so, so many ways. He isn't able to go grab and go and get all those resources in life. He's a beggar. He's someone who's constantly sat by the road as people walk past him and the dust kicks up in his face every day. And Bartimaeus, as a beggar, would have been a bit like one of those people, one of those kind of charity workers you might see down George Street um, as you're going on your way to Truffles to get your chocolate tiffin. And suddenly you get accosted by someone who throws their arms open wide and says, good morning, hello, hello, can I stop you for a minute? And they're right in your face and you're just like, oh, goodbye, goodbye, I just want to go and get my chocolate tiffin. And he's one of those kind of people that you just wanted to, to avoid. And yet no one could because he was constantly there on their way in and the way out out of the city, crying out for money, crying out for, for food. And, and we're told there in verse 46 that Jesus and his disciples are, are leaving this, this city called Jericho. And as they're leaving, a huge crowd is, is with them. Because people have seen the stuff that Jesus has been doing. They've seen the healing he's been doing, interrupting funerals by raising the dead. Loads of different stuff he's been doing. They've heard his incredible teaching. They've heard the fact that Jesus teaches with authority. And that meant that, they, that Jesus got them in a way that no one else did. He understood the realities of life and the realities about God. And he spoke in a way which no one else did. And people were, were jaw-dropping, the amazed by Jesus. And so this huge crowd by this point, of just a week or so before he's going to die on a cross, are gathered and they're following him. They're at Jericho, which is about just under 20 miles away from Jerusalem. And they're on their way out of Jericho towards um, Jerusalem. And there is blind man Bartimaeus on, on the roadside waiting. And it says there, next verse, verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus of Nazareth. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it's really interesting here because because this Bartimaeus guy is sat there on the roadside. He hears all these whispers of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's this huge crowd going past. It must be the Jesus I've heard of as well. This is the place where, if you've heard the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus had been welcomed by Jesus and been forgiven. This guy who was an outcast had been brought in to relationship with Jesus. He'd heard these stories. And Bartimaeus hears it's Jesus and he cries out. And, and when it, we were told it's Jesus of Nazareth, 
Um, what you've got to know is, is that Jesus uh, was a popular name back in the first century. There were actually popular baby name lists, which you can kind of discover through various kind of New Testament scholars. Um, but I won't bore you with all the details of that right now. But the reason it would be of Nazareth was because Jesus was a popular name. They needed a what was called a disambiguator, something which kind of shows which Jesus this was. And so they know it's Jesus, the bloke from up north in, in Nazareth. And you'd think, therefore, Bartimaeus would go, Jesus of Nazareth, and cry out his name like that. But he doesn't. He does something very interesting. He says, Jesus, son of David. And, and that's interesting because in Mark's gospel, this biography of Jesus, no one else has used that phrase of Jesus so far, son of, of David. And it was a, it was a synonym for, for Messiah, Christ, all words which mean king. And it's his way of saying, look, I know that God back in the Old Testament, the first chunk of the Bible, predicted that one day there would be a king who would come, who would be a descendant of King David, and who would come into this world, and he would be the ruler of Israel and the ruler of the world. And, and, and that king, Bartimaeus realizes, is here right now. And he's amazed. Now, now back in the first century, um, before Christ, is the first time you really get this phrase, son of David, um, used. And, and back then, what it meant in that culture was it meant warrior, king, this kind of militaristic um, kind of figure. And that was the assumption that everyone seemed to have. As you read through the Gospels, people are now thinking, there's this crowd is flocking around Jesus. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to be this militaristic king who's going to set up shop in Jerusalem. He's going to kick out the Romans. He's going to be this uber power force. And that's why in the story we had last week, the disciples want the positions next to Jesus because they think this powerful kingdom is going to be established. That was what people assumed by that phrase, son of David. But Bartimaeus, this man who can't see, actually sees something that others aren't seeing. He sees that actually Jesus isn't coming as this militaristic king, as this kind of military king. He's coming instead as, again, what we heard last week, as the servant king. And you know that, you know this is in Bartimaeus' mind because of what he says in verse 47. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He knows that Jesus is a man of incredible mercy, incredible kindness, incredible grace and compassion. And that's why he's crying out to him. He's like, Jesus, that's the kind of king you are. What other king is like that? What other king is full of kindness and mercy and compassion and doesn't just lord his power over other people and misuse it? What king is like this? Bartimaeus goes, it's only Jesus. And he cries out to him, have mercy on me, which has that idea of, Jesus, I want you to forgive me. I want you to have compassion on, on me in my state of life. I'm here sat by the road, everyone ignoring me, being marginalized um, and, and walked over in life completely. But Jesus, I want you to have mercy on me. And that's what he's crying out for in, in those verses. But listen to the way the crowd responds in verse 48. Many, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So isn't it interesting how the crowds around Jesus 
and the disciples are there as well. And it wouldn't be surprising if the disciples were joining in saying, be quiet, because they've got good form of this. If you remember back earlier in chapter 10, when little kids come to Jesus, they're like, now go away, little kids. Jesus isn't interested. But actually, Jesus is like, pipe down, disciples. I am. I love all people. And, and he wants the kids to come to him. And he wants the people like Bartimaeus, those on the margins, to come to him as well. But isn't it interesting how the crowds and the disciples, therefore, most likely, are all saying, be quiet to Bartimaeus. And I think for those of us who are Christians this morning, that's a kind of a a warning that it's very easy to be on the road with Jesus, following Jesus, and going, well, life now is about me following Jesus, and to ignore those who are sat by the side of the road. But that's not the way of Jesus at all, and not the way of Jesus, as as we're going to see Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of God, Son of David, have mercy on me. A few weeks ago, I was chatting to a, a lady who's a, a, a Chinese professor um, at, a, at a university. And she's just over here doing some uh, research uh, for, for a few months. And we were talking about all kinds of things. She was asking about English culture, about Stonehenge. She even asked me about the, the, the song Jerusalem. She said, what's that about? And I said, well, that's a question I've got as well. I've got no idea. I think the answer to every question in Jerusalem, by the way, is, is no. Did those feet walk on? No, they, no, they didn't. He was never in England. Anyway, but she was talking about asking all these questions. And then she, was, then she said, um, I, yeah, can you talk to me about Christianity? I, I know that, yeah, that Jesus, he, he died... Um, just for Christians. And she carried on talking. And I said, oh, I said, hang on a moment. Yeah, absolutely, Jesus did die for Christians. But Jesus isn't, didn't just come to die for, for Christians. He came to die for us all. He came to die for you. He came to die for the whole Chinese nation. Um, that's, that's why he is here. That's the kind of, uh, of king Jesus really is. And she was really interested by finding out more then about, about this Jesus. And, and, and I love, I love what, what, what happens in this story because it's Jesus showing, saying, like, I mean, this lady assumed as well, you know, maybe I'm out on the sideline. Jesus is for the Christians, the crowd with him, but I'm sat over here. I was like, no, no, Jesus is for you as well, as he was, with, as he was for Bartimaeus. And we know this to be the case because, again, at the end of the passage last week, what did Jesus say in verse 45? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. You've got that incredible verse that tells you what kind of king Jesus is. The king who gives up everything for us. He came to serve. And when he uses that phrase and says, give his life as a ransom for many. Strangely, that word many actually means all. It was, a, it was an ancient Semitic way of, of speaking. And it goes back to the, the books in the Old Testament, Isaiah, book of Isaiah, chapters 52 to 53. And the, that word many is interchangeably used with the words all, just as it is in a book called Romans um, chapter 5, verses 12 to 19. It's the same kind of thing going on. It's just a way of, of speaking of not that, that the king who would come into the world is not just for the Jewish people, but he's for Gentiles too. He's for, for the whole world. You get that great verse in Isaiah 53, which it, you know, is, is an explanation of it as well, where it says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And, it's, and, and Jesus is this king who's come into the world for us all. And if you're here this morning, you think, well, he's just for the good people, just for the nice people, just for the English people, or whatever you might think then we're to realize actually this morning, no, Jesus is the king who's given his life to pay a ransom, to pay the price for all the things we've done wrong so that any one of us 
can come from that road where we're sat by on the side and can get on the road and join in a relationship with, with him. So verse, verse, verse 46 to 47 and 48 are telling us then that, that you've got this Bartimaeus guy who's sitting by the road. But what happens when, when he cries out to Jesus, this king he knows is the king of mercy? How's he going to respond? Look at verse 49. The crowds are saying pipe down, but what happens? Jesus is not like the crowds. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. I love this because here you've got this big crowd, all the bustle of it, hustle and bustle. Loads of beggars would have been there as well. Bartimaeus crying out, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus, as the king, he could just go, now I'm going to ignore that, that miserable bloke over there. But he doesn't. What does he do? He stops. He stops walking, he stops the crowd, and he says, call that man to come to me. And, and that is the voice of Jesus speaking to all of us. He's the, he's the king, the kind of king who has immense time for each one of us. He, he says, stop, I want you to come to me. I want to talk with you. I want to be with you. You know, Jesus has been healing, around, healing everyone as he's been going around. And you think in this moment, when lots of people are around, lots of people want help, he could just get out his healing gun and start going, healed, brilliant, healed, and walk on, walk on, heal, heal, heal. Just shoot off his healing guns. But he doesn't do that. He, he says he stops. He stops. And it's because he wants Bartimaeus and he wants the crowds who are telling him to be quiet to realize that, that Bartimaeus isn't, isn't a problem that can be just dealt with and, and pushed to one side. He's not a, a, a scratch so an itch that just needs to be scratched and a bit of pseudocreme whacked on him and then walk on by. No, but he realizes and he wants Bartimaeus to see this is that he's the kind of king who loves even those who everyone else hates, even those that everyone else sidelines and despises. He's the king who's got time for, for us all. And he speaks to Bartimaeus by asking him this question. And, and, and he wants him to see as well that, it's, that it, Bartimaeus, I love you just as much as I love my disciples. I love you um, as much as, as, as I love anyone. Why? Because he, uh, you see this glimpse because he asks exactly the same question to Bartimaeus that he asked of his disciples earlier um, back in, in verse 36, which is, what do you want me to do for you? And, and that's an, an interesting question because when the disciples, as we heard last week, when the disciples asked that question, what did they ask for? They said, well, Jesus, can you give us power and position? Can you give us prominence, privilege? Can you give us all these big P's? Um, can you just put us up there next to you? They wanted to be raised up high. We want people to see us and see that we've made it. They had that scarcity myth thing as we want the pie. We want to be up there. We want to be seen and we want to be heard. And, and yet when Jesus asks this guy the question, as we're going to see, his response is so, so, so different. But I, I wonder, again, and the question was asked last week, and the question is asked again today. But what is it you, you want most? If you, if you had the king of the universe, this is God in the flesh, this is Jesus, say to you, what do you want? What would your response be? Do you know what you really want? 
There's a, there's a, there's a film um, called Stalker, and it's, it's by a, a Russian guy called Andrei Tarkovsky. And, and in the film, um, Stalker is this guy who's going to lead professor and writer, these two other characters, on a journey. And it's a journey through a kind of dystopian, kind of, uh, kind of post-apocalyptic kind of world, like Chernobyl. Um, it's an eerie kind of countryside. The birds are, birds are singing. No one else is around. But Stalker has to lead professor and writer through um, this place called the zone and as they go through the zone stalker is is leading them to a place called the room and as they get to the room they are are to get get to this place because they know that stalker has told them that if you get to the room it's the place where your deepest desire will be met whatever it is you most want you will have at the room and professor and writer get to the room having been quite excited about this prospect of receiving whatever is the deepest desire of their hearts. And as they, as they get to the threshold of, of the room, all of a sudden it dawns on them. What if what we most want, or at least think we most want, actually isn't what we most want? And they, and they start to panic and be wor- immensely worried about that. Do you know what it is you most want? The disciples thought they did, and Jesus says, actually, you've got it wrong. You want to be put up there. You want all this position and power and prominence. He says, that's not, that's not the way of my kingdom. That's not the way of, of living the, the right way in life. But Bartimaeus was someone who actually got what his greatest need was and what his greatest desire was. And we'll see, he's going to ask Jesus, what do you want me to do for you, Rabbi, I want to see. He realizes that his greatest need is, is to be able to see. And, and, and it's interesting because in, in this particular um, story, um, where it fits in in Mark's gospel is, is really fascinating. Let me just give you a little slight, slight little aside here because it's, it's relevant to what we're looking at. But the first eight chapters of Mark's gospel, Jesus is in a particular location. He's up north in the region of Galilee. And in chapters 11 to 16, Jesus is in Jerusalem all that time. And in this weird bit between kind of chapter 8, verse 22, through, through to 10, verse four, uh, 52, in this weird bit in between, Jesus is neither in Galilee nor in Jerusalem, but he's, he's what? He's on the way. He's on the road. And you read that at the beginning of those verses and at the end as well. He's on the road or on the way is another way of saying it. And at both of those, those, those points in this middle section, Jesus does two miracles where he heals two different blind people. And it's Mark's way of saying, and it's Jesus' way of saying to us, that our greatest need is to see again. Because all of us are actually blind. We're blind to the truth about God. We're blind to the truth about us. We're blind about what life is, is really about. And what our greatest need is, is to come to Jesus and cry out to him and ask for our sight to be given back to us, to ask for that restoration. And it's Mark's way of saying that our greatest need is for, for Jesus to come in and open our, our blind eyes. You know, three times in that middle section, Jesus very clearly says, and, he say, and it says Mark says it this way, he, says, he said it very plainly. So this is Jesus speaking, not like the Riddler in Batman, where you need Batman to try and unfathom what he's, he's going on about. But it's Jesus speaking plainly, blatantly obviously. And Jesus says three times, I'm going to die. I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And on the third day after my death, I'll be raised to life. I will, this dead body will literally stand up again. He says it three times. And each time he says it, the disciples go, huh? You what? 
What are you saying? What does that mean? And each time Jesus then gently rebukes them and says, the reason you're not getting this, what I'm saying, is because you've got in your mind what you think I should be doing. You've got in your mind what you think life is, is actually about. And actually, that's, that's blindness. That's blindness. That's not reality. What you need is for me to remove the scales. Come to me. Listen to me. Believe me. And you will see. You will see the truth about God and about yourself and about life. That's, that's what he's getting at. There's, there's a, a lady who wrote a book, um, a business kind of book, that the Financial Times said should be in the top 10 um, books um, uh, for, for business leaders. A lady called Margaret Heffernan. And, and she talks about, and you can see the quote on the screen there, she talks about how we have this kind of willful blindness in our lives, how we just love to admit the information into our lives that makes us feel comfortable and nice, and that fits in with our perspective, but how we love to push to one side anything that will upset our fragile egos. And I think she's absolutely spot on. And what she's saying is so much of really what, what of, I don't think she's a Christian. She's saying exactly what, what Jesus is saying, is that we're, we're blind. We, we only want to listen to what we want to listen to. And Jesus says, no, no, you've got to listen to the truth, even if it offends you, even if it hurts you, because the truth will set you free. And I have come to give you sight. And that's a good thing. If it's a bit of pain along the way, then, then all, all well and, and, and good, if, if it means that you get to see again. And the disciples, like us, so often have our plans for God. God, just do this in my life. Do this in my life. I want you to be this kind of God for me. And Jesus says, no, no, that's, that's not God. That's, that's you being God. Actually, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of, of yourself. And Jesus says here in this story that Bartimaeus got it right. His greatest need was to see. He needed to see physically, but also he needed to see, more importantly, spiritually as well. Listen to how it goes on. Verse 51. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now, when the blind man says, Rabbi, I want to see... Uh, the word rabbi, it, it literally is, is a kind of slightly extended word. It's, it's rabbani or rabboni. And, and the whole idea of that word was that it was used, and it's important why it was used, is because it was used in a very much of a, a personal way of relating to God in prayer. And this Bartimaeus guy is going, Jesus, the Jesus in front of me, the son of David, I see you are God. I realize you are God. And, and I want you, God, to give me my sight back. I want you to restore that to me. Notice he's not asking for anything kind of superhuman. He's not asking for superhuman powers. He's just asking very simply, God, will you make me human? Will you make me whole again? And he's asking that on that physical level, but he's also asking it on a, on a spiritual level as well. We know it because of the way he says, God, have mercy on me. He's asking, if you like, for forgiveness through that. But you know also because of Jesus' response, because Jesus literally says, go, your faith has saved you. Where it's translated healed you, it literally has saved you. In other words, he is asking for more than just his physical sight. He's saying, God, I want to see you. I want to see life again. I want to, I want to be real. I want to be right. And, and, and I love what, what, what he does. Because, because what he does when he, he um, back in verse 50, 
It says there, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. That is a brilliant, beautiful picture of what it means to put your faith in, in Jesus. Because the cloak for this guy was his life. It was the center point of his life. Because the cloak was the thing that kept him warm when it was cold. The cloak was his bed for the night. The cloak was what he put on the floor to, to beg with. It was everything to him. And yet when he hears that Jesus is there, what does he do with that thing that's central to him? He threw his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. He says, goodbye cloak, goodbye cloak. I'm coming to Jesus now. And that's what true faith is. It's, 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 faith is, is about what you believe, about what you trust in. And, and that's important about what you trust in. Because if it's not something very, very good that can't deliver, then it's not very good. But if it's Jesus, then he delivers. And because he's the God of the universe. And he leaps to his feet, throws away his past life and says, I want now to have Jesus at, at the center of my life. That's what having faith in Jesus is all about. It's saying, Jesus, have mercy on me, forgive me. And put me now on, on the road to following you. Because listen to how it ends. It says, go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Or another way of putting it is along the way. That is, this guy, Bartimaeus, realizes that now life, about trusting in Jesus and being forgiven, isn't then being forgiven and doing what you want. But no, being forgiven is so that you get on the road and you follow Jesus. And Jesus in Mark chapter 8 earlier had said that getting on the road and following him is a life of crucifixion. It's a life of putting death, it's putting yourself to death. It's a, it's a life where you, your old life is buried in the grave with him. And then as Jesus rose from the dead, it's a life of then living in Jesus' new life and his goodness given to you. And Bartimaeus is a guy who goes from that old way of living, jumps to his feet, trusts in Jesus. His old life is buried. He throws away that cloak and then he comes to live with Jesus. And I, I don't know this morning about where, where you, you are at. Many of you would be, be Christians and you are on the right way with Jesus. And there's that urgency for us today to go, let's be looking out to those who are sitting on the roads and by the roads. And let's be pouring out the love of God into their lives through what we do and through what we say and telling them about the good news that Jesus loves them and died for them and rose to them and wants them to be forgiven and know God. That, that's the urgency for us today, to be on that road following Jesus as well, living his way, not our way in his world. But there'll be people here this morning who don't know Jesus. And, and, and this morning you've, you started to see, yeah, maybe I, I'm, I recognize that I've not seen things clearly as they really are. And I, I see this morning that Jesus is the one who can give me my sight back. He's the one who can set me free. And I, and I want to throw away whatever has been at the center of my life, that cloak, whatever it may be for you. I don't know what that is, but it's something. And Jesus says, I want you to throw that away. I want you to jump up on your feet. Come follow me. Ask me for the mercy and I will forgive you because I died and I paid the right price for you. Ask me for life and I will give that to you. And then you can follow me on, on my way. Will you do that today? Are you someone who's just sitting by the road or are you someone who's wanting this morning to step on the road with Jesus? If it's the latter, why not, why not pray this prayer that I'm going to pray now? It's just a very simple way of, of asking for forgiveness and asking um, Jesus 
to, to bring you onto that right road um, this morning. And if you want to do that, why don't you just echo the words in your head and heart and then say amen in your head at the end or say it out loud if you'd like to as well. Jump on your feet if you want to, but do whatever. But, um, but it's just simply a way of saying, Jesus, I, I need you. Please give me sight. Why don't we pray now? Dear God, I realized this morning that I am blind. I haven't got life right. I haven't got you right. And I realized this morning I need to receive my sight. Thank you for opening my eyes to seeing that I need Jesus. Thank you that Jesus died and paid for my sins and my blindness. Thank you that he rose again so that I could be forgiven and have his life. I now receive Jesus. I now turn from my old way of living. I throw away that cloak, that whatever that is that is at the center of my life. And I want Jesus to be the center of my life from now on in. Today, God, I want to step on the road with Jesus and walk his way in his world. In Jesus' name. Amen. And if that's, uh, if that's you this morning, I'm going to be hanging around eating lots of biscuits and things out the back, no doubt. Um, but come, come and talk to me. I've got a little booklet um, which is called Knowing God Personally, which explains what it means then to, to walk with Jesus. And I'd love to give you um, a copy of that booklet. But thank you so much um, for, for patiently listening. Over to Ben.